And for September 6, 2023, tonight we're going to discuss popularity has a type in games, the mobile home park conspiracy of 2023, Chick-fil-A in Texas tests robot delivery, delivery vans may not have a long runway, Tesla tops list of creepiest car makers, one barman exits, two students arrive, a little dismissed worker, brought to you by Google search ads. The period for this service has ended. Emergency living quarters, hearts in space, and balls. Next on Omtown. <laughs> A little is LIDL. Yeah, I thought you were saying L-I-T-T-L-E just because that's where I went. <laughs> I, I mean, is it actually strictly pronounced little, L-I-D-L, little, or is it Lytle? I have, I have no idea. Hmm. Okay, well, anyway, we've already got all of our articles selected. You want to just jump right on into it and not do any preamble. All that right. sounds good. I sometimes I'm in the mood to do that kind of stuff. And sometimes I just want to get everybody on board with the news so that they can uh, digest it uh, like a, a news uh, digestif. It's like a it gets you ready to consume more. No, no. <laughs> well, just, yeah, I mean, for the next day, maybe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, let's get into it. Uh, first articles over on the Warcrafters channel. What do names of best-selling Steam games have in common? Words like Manager, Tycoon, Remastered, and HD. Uh, the article is actually over at PCGamer.com. We have a little snippet of it, but that's where it is right there. We kind of remove the images and other things. Um, so that you, you, you go over there and you visit the actual site, and then you come over the next day, or right now, because we actually throw it into the chat and we throw it into the um, show notes. And, and then you can come over and you can talk here, real time, hometown, 9 p.m. Every day, Eastern, 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, but there's also a Discord and the website itself is a has a, a discussion forum type of environment. Um, you just have to go over, sign up, become a citizen. It's really easy. Hometown citizens. Pretty, like, I don't know, maybe three or four lines to fill out, something like that. I don't know. I'm just the mayor. I, I mash a button every day and that's it. So, uh, what do these all have in common? All right. Well, I should say what makes them so common that they become popular Let's uh, find out. Jody McGregor over at PCGamer.com put the article together. It says, check out my new game, Tycoon Manager HD Pro. <laughs> well, then that should do really well. Yep. Uh, the folk behind the Game Discover Co. newsletter have gone on a deep dive into Steam, ranking 212 words based on the median gross lifetime revenue of games that have them in the title. The results they pull from their data may not all be super surprising, but that doesn't mean they're not interesting. Number one with a bullet is the word HD. 
wonder why that is. But the median gross steam revenue of $63,082. That's not the only word commonly associated with re-releases near the top of the list. Oh, re-releases. That's why. Oh, okay. Because, I missed that part. Yeah. It didn't say re-releases up here, did it? I don't it doesn't think say so. That up here either. Like, no. Yeah. And this actually has remastered in it. Yeah, it has remastered in it. Huh. Interesting. But HD really reflects on re-released. You know, remastered at number three. But HD is number one. Because they take these low-resolution games and then they remaster them, throw in HD, and boom. I mean, I guess it makes sense, right? If they already have an audience, then they do something to jazz it up in some way or another. And they get new people as well as the old people. And by old people, I hopefully don't mean me. Um, anyway, gold at number six... So Collection, Deluxe, and Ultimate all play sol solidly as well. That's really interesting. The word Manager clocks in at second place with 33,000. Half. If you have HD, that almost speaks directly to what you said. Because not only are they getting 33,000, the other, you know, um, HD is a re-release of an older product. So half of its wealth really is because... It's got the old crew rebuying it, and then it's getting $33,000 of new people, right? Because if the number two place is only $33,000, I'm just, I, I, I'm just kind of being funny about it, but that's pretty fascinating. You're getting two generations, possibly, when you re-release and throw HD on there, but manager... Well, usually the manager ones are more complex simulation types where you're running like a company or a team or a, some. Right. I think whatever. it's like a style of game that's appealing. Yeah. Um, and then Tycoon, which is really kind of like manager. That one's only 19,000. There are other words associated with specific genres that they're ranked much lower. It looks like they just the bottom drops out as soon as you go to tactics. It's. Number 12 and only has 5,400. This is a fun article. I kind of dig this. And I haven't heard of Games Discover Co. Or Game Discover Co. So I'll have to go and look into them as well. Um, they provide quite a bit of other information in here. Um, it, one of their sentences in, in this article is, especially if uh, they have the word jump in the name, apparently, with a median gross lifetime revenue coming in at a measly $43. So... I guess um, Jump HD Manager is a bit conflicted because Jump doesn't make much, but HD is. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to play all of the paths and maybe I'll, something will stick. Hmm. All right. Let's keep on going unless you have something that you observed in this. I didn't have any observations, but I liked it because it was something different that we haven't seen. Gotcha. My sentient AI is 
very straightforward about <laughs> not reading the article. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. I was adding game discover code to our potential sources. Gotcha. So the next article is over in the mobile channel. Lawsuit claims mobile home park managers conspired to fix and inflate lot rental prices. So if you ever see a group of 15 mobile home park managers all hanging out at a bar together, they're probably conspiring to fix and inflate prices. A lawsuit seeking class action status accuses nine mobile home community management companies and a mobile home uh, market data provider of conspiring to fix and inflate lot rental prices at more than 150 locations across the US. I find this really, really fascinating. So um, the article's over at Quartz, but it's the website is qz.com. Um, so Quartz. And uh, apparently nine mobile home community management companies and mobile home market data provider worked together to fix and inflate more than 150 locations across the United States. And they're trying to be a class action says used competitively sensitive market data provided by Grand Rapids, Michigan based data comp appraisal systems incorporated to exchange pricing information. So what data comp went to everybody and said, Hey, y'all are leaving money on the table. You're supposed to be greedy bastards. Here's some information. Everybody ref within 1% of each other and you'll be good. A similar thing happened with memory modules um, from Southeast Asia. Um, they fixed their price. They actually, they worked together to raise the prices for RAM modules. Um, and they actually got called to the table for it or called to the floor for it. Um, the lawsuit filed last week in federal court in Chicago claims the management companies bought up a mobile home or bought up mobile home parks and used competitively sensitive market data provided by that company to exchange pricing information and conspire to raise rents. And I can't see there whether they just happen to use that data or that company is also involved. It's not clear. Pretty interesting. The, you know, this is also hitting households kind of uh, discriminately, right? I mean, it's probably going to be lower income yeah. Uh, well, sorry. it says these so individuals fast. whose median how, uh, annual household income is approximately $35,000 were overcharged for what was meant to be affordable housing. Manufactured home rental lot or lot rental prices were blatantly inflated at a staggering rate of 9.1% uh, per year between 2019 and 2021. Institutional investors led by private equity firms and real estate investment trusts and sometimes funded by pension funds have swooped in to buy mobile home parks. It, it, it is, again, what I've been saying for years and years and years now. You don't have to be a greedy bastard. You can leave money on the table so people can afford to eat. Um, and if everybody raises their rates, then you end up with people homeless um, or unable to feed their families just so that you can get millions more. 
this isn't a natural order of purchasing something and providing a service and value and you know compensation for value for value right this is private equity firms buying real estate so that they can invest raise rates and when there isn't any competition then they can conspire together to raise it in at an irrational level and the people that have the means can tell the people without the means i don't care i don't have a soul get out i'm raising the rates go live in a box down by the river again I want to be the change I want to see in the world. So if I talk about this kind of stuff, maybe other people will see that as an option too, and not think that they can win the game because believe me, if most people aren't going to win the game, they might <laughs> be a little better off. But in the grand scheme of things, there are very few companies that own large swaths of land, businesses, everything really. Um, and you know, $10 million isn't that much in the grand scheme of things, maybe life-changing for some, but it's still not winning the game. Um, so these people might end up in a class action. Um, odds on though, this, this could go criminal because if they all did conspire, um, this, this goes beyond just, a a simple class action. So we'll see. We'll keep an eye out on it. Um, let's keep on going. The uh, next article is over on the hometown daily channel. That's over at hometown.com. Uh, a Chick-fil-A in Texas is using a robot named Wally, which I'm not quite sure why they're not being sued. Um, instead of employees, that'll be next article. <laughs> Um, to deliver food to dine-in customers. So now they're getting rid of the humans inside the establishment. This is all stuff that I've been talking to people about. Chick-fil-A is known for testing new technologies to streamline operations. A restaurant in Texas is using a robot named Wally to uh, deliver food to dine-in customers. Um, let's go over to Business Insider. Uh, that's the source of this article. Nancy Luna is the author. Um, apparently... <laughs> straight out is just called Wally. Wow. Interesting. You know, um, it'd be one thing if the customers started calling it Wally or whatever, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's not going to go over too well. I mean, isn't that a Disney property? Yeah, but maybe they're not oh, going to, they're pretty litigious though. If oh, anybody's yeah, using their stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, I know a daycare that got shut down because of them. Um, for, for, uh, plywood cutouts on their garage door <laughs> and they got shut down. Um, so uh, a restaurant executive dining in the fast food chain posted video of the robot on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe it's, maybe it's not going to mean it turn into anything. Wally delivered an, his egg white grilled sandwich with a side of Buffalo sauce and diet soda. Shear, the chief operating so officer at Big Shots Golf, posted a video of Wally on his LinkedIn page, and he told Insider that he was initially surprised to see Chick-fil-A deploying a robot in the dining room as the chain is known for its hospitality-focused workforce. True. Until they're too expensive, and then bye. Yep. 
Um, so they're going to keep on trying stuff out like this. I, I find it really interesting though, because they've, in my experience, they have always, uh, sought to make the work experience better for their employees, you know, um, because they actually have them standing out in the drive-through and running food out and stuff like that. And in harsh weather, they've, um, changed things up, um, so that it's, they're not open to the ele elements and, and whatnot. So, um, I just find it interesting that they're going to be testing a robot and then replacing the people eventually. Well, right. I mean, from the consumer standpoint, it might be good to have a robot assuming it works. Um, it's not real good for the labor. No, course. not at all. But if they prove that the concept works, then it's just going to amplify the replacement time frame. You know, it's just going to happen faster because now somebody is showing that it's cost effective to just pull the human out of there. Again, I keep telling people humans get sick. They get tired. They have a, a bad breakup or they get in a car accident. They don't show up for work. Um, and, uh, the business suffers, but the everybody's going to suffer if all of the humans can't get a job. It's going to get a whole lot rougher out there. Um, I did not throw this into the chat, so here's the link. There you go. Of course, we um, know that fast food restaurants have been one of the places that supposedly can't hire enough people. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's because you, you have, uh, people that want more growth. So they have more money put into their coffers, um, for them to sell their stock or buy more stock if it's low and they think it's going to grow, you know, speculation and stuff. Um, but the biggest cost to a business is the, the, the biggest burn is human capital. Um, because not only is there a front end where they're being paid a salary, but twice as much on the back end is healthcare and taxes and, um, payroll tax and the minutia around it. If you get rid of all of the humans, then you don't need so many people in the HR department either. Um, and various other places. It's all, it's just going to be like one person, not even that, you know? Chick-fil-A, it's going to be the cooks until they can mechanize the cooking process. Because you can talk to an AI now. It'll take your order. Now you got a robot that's delivering it. <laughs> All you need is a mechanization for flipping the deep fryer. It's coming, folks. Better pick your career well. Um, the next article is over in hometown daily FAA clears uh, UPS delivery drones for longer range flights. This one is interesting because UPS is known for having people drive around in big brown trucks delivering stuff. Now, all you have to do is send out drones. The skies will be filled with package laden drones flying around, dropping stuff off. It's pretty cool. But I can't really figure out, but. The, all the drone deliveries is like how 
Does that work if it's a busy area and there's pedestrians about? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they don't fly low. Um, so they just fly over to wherever they can and then drop it on the sidewalk. Um, <laughs> now, you would think that a human would deliver the product a little bit closer to the door, but um, no, that's not always the case. You find it out at the end of a driveway because they were in too much of a hurry to actually walk the 15 feet <laughs> to, to a doorstep. But hey, it is what it is. Um, but this, again, is one of those things where now the heavy lifting of Sorry, that wasn't supposed to be a pun. The heavy lifting of delivering a package no longer is going to be bound by um, a truck and a human. It's just going to be a drone that's programmed to grab something, fly to the GPS coordinates, deposit it, fly back. I don't want the skies filled with drones, though, because there's millions of packages. So these things are going to be flying around like a wasp nest, like you just kicked a giant wasp nest and they're going to be buzzing around everywhere they're going to get swatted out of the sky like so many wasps with a baseball bat though although i watched a video today of somebody that took they made a dewalt drone and you know those big battery packs mm -hmm. that's what they were using as the battery pack for their first person view interesting drone yeah it was pretty cool Seemed like it would be too heavy, but this thing apparently was beefy enough to lift it and fly around. It was a speedy thing, too. Um, I thought it was cool. It's over on YouTube. If you just do a search for DeWalt drone, I think you'll find it. <laughs> right. That's fairly specific. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here. Let me throw this into the chat as well so that you all can follow that. Um, and this will be in the show notes. It'll be posted over on YouTube um, probably tomorrow. Um Today's been kind of a long day. Do you think this, um, the timing of this is interesting? <laughs> because of the strike and yes. negotiations? Now, I know it probably took a while for this to happen, so I don't think it was just requested yesterday, but the strike stuff has been going on for a while, the threat of strike and all of that, so I just find it kind of coincidental. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know if it's coincidental or not, but it's certainly interesting. I don't think that this was on anybody's radar for the negotiations, though. Uh, Sheena Vasani, I think, is their last name, Vasani, um, over at TheVerge.com, put the article together. So FAA clears UPS delivery drones for longer range flights. So now they can go further, maybe a little higher. Um, and deliver products. Let's see. The news comes just days after Walmart announced it's partnering with Wing to make deliveries in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. That's not days. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Yeah, I think we did. I guess that's days. You know, weeks are days. Um, so far, Walmart has already made over 10,000 deliveries across seven states via its partners, Drone Up, Flytrex, and Zipline. Zipline was the one that we talked about. The new partnership will allow the retailer to deliver an extra 60,000 homes. Um, yet, 
not all drone delivery programs have had a smooth go of things like Amazon's drone delivery service Prime Air. In May, the service had only made 100 deliveries in California and Texas. Well, they got to stop shutting down services that people really appreciate because then, oh, wait, they're shutting down something? Is that what I heard? Yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's keep on going. The next article. <clears throat> eventually come on um is over in technology today tesla tops mozilla's li uh, list of creepiest car makers but 25 brands failed basic data privacy tests um there was another statement by i think this list that connected cars are going to be really bad yes i saw that and i thought it's got to be related to the same uh, and, list or document but it was just interesting so um some what 20 years ago is when um i started the process of researching and building uh what i referred to as rna which was a basically in trunk computer network um for all cars it basically is a little black box that connects cars so they know where each other is um, so that lane changes and, and other things could be done in relative safety because every car would know where every other car is. Um, part of an automation, automation project that I wanted to do. And uh, at that time, I never really worried about security because it wasn't the preeminent thing. It was about the tech. But I can see where people should be worried about what information is sent and received and processed and whatnot. But for me, it was nothing but telemetry, nothing identifiable, nothing that was, would be actionable. Um, and I had already kind of accepted that everything should be constrained very tightly, but that's not what most developers do. Most developers, um, when you get into these bigger business things, um, they seek out grabbing as much data as possible. And then they tack on a little bit of security. Nowadays, I'm so strict about data that the only thing that I want to allow is what is expected. And so uh, breaches and, and data leaks um, should be in something like data telemetry from self-driving cars and stuff like that, there shouldn't be anything personally identifiable there. And exactly. Like just because the cars can not run into each other, why does it need to have a home address or something on it? Right. Um, so it says here, the nonprofit Mozilla foundation deemed, uh, cars the worst product category ever reviewed for data privacy according to research released wednesday its privacy not included research division uh, reviews everything from smart home devices to health and wellness apps but of the 25 car brands the research team studied not a single one passed the reviews with top brands like tesla nissan hyundai landing in the top of the worst of the worst list and, Ouch. Uh, yeah. Tesla earned a mark against it for untrustworthy use of AI, making it 
the second product reviewed by Mozilla to fail every privacy test conducted. <laughs> yeah, Katie Malone over at Engadget.com put the article together. The deck statement says, quote, they're all bad. Yeah, well, I'm I now have a full on embargo against anything having to do with Tesla um, or Elon Musk in general, uh, basically because of his social stance that is becoming more and more prominent. Um, but again, I, I have a particular view about <laughs> great wealth and the disconnection from society. Um, Tesla earned the mark against it for untrustworthy use of AI. That's because an AI-powered autopilot feature caused several deaths and hundreds of crashes. Meanwhile, ne companies like Nissan and Kia say that they can collect information about your sexual activity and sex life, and Hyundai promises to comply with lawful requests, whether formal or informal, to share your information with government and law enforcement. <laughs> So we're going to gather it all up and then share it. Even if somebody just asks nicely. Yeah. I mean, I asked formally for all of that information. Um, and then my sentient AI contacted them. No, they didn't actually do this, but I'm just saying informal, it says. Exactly. Whether formal or informal. Yeah, so we were at the coffee shop. Subpoena. Correct. Yeah, no warrant, no nothing. Um, so there's a bunch of other least creepy car options, but really when it comes down to it, it's kind of like, you know, electing the worst, the least worst person. Well, um, and also at least for the U.S., two of these I don't think are even in the U.S. Uh, as options. One is in the U.S., but is expensive, so... Gotcha. But that's not even this. I mean, there, I don't know. There's, there has to be other car makers that don't even land on it. Um, but I don't know what they are. They're probably steam powered from the 1800s. And <laughs> well, considering they've mentioned a lot of, but not all of the major car manufacturers. So maybe they're all, all considered bad. Like the deck statement. When I talk about this stuff, um, normally what people say is, well, you've got a car, um, and you've got your phone and it, your phone tracks you everywhere you go. And I, I go, that's kind of a, what about ism, you know, I, it doesn't matter what the others do when you know about something and you think that it's wrong, you should call out that wrongness. And if you go, well, that other one does it too, then you call out that, you know, bad actor as well you don't go well that one's doing it but what about that one over there well they're both doing bad so call them both out don't go yeah they're doing it over there well too. that other one's also doing it so what's the problem because yeah. it, it makes me feel like i'm being a parent that's saying to their kid if everybody jumps off the bridge are you gonna jump off the bridge Uh, that am... came up today earlier in hometown. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> it seems like everything old is new again. And the, these types of things, 
tracking, security, bad actors, detecting other bad actors and saying they're cool because they're doing it too. It's all just, we, we never learn any lessons. We just keep redoing everything. We're in a time loop. Let's keep on going. This music is kind of weird. Hey, it kind of that creepy vibe. That does have the creepy vibe. It's supposed to be ambient, but it's that was a little creepy. But it was fitting since we were talking about a creepy article. Exactly. Well, the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Golf club barman replaced by students awarded over 10,000 euro. That's because a Sutton golf club in North Dublin has been ordered to pay a former barman 10, 000, over 10,000 euro after replacing him with two students during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, this is over in uh, RTE, um, the uh, Ireland news uh, website. And uh, it says at the Workplace Relations Commission, the worker, Sean, I don't know if it's Soden, um, secured an award of uh, for uh, 8,000 euro under the Unfair Dismissals Act of 1977, along with further 2,400 euro um, in notice pay on foot of long service at the club. So they had been there long enough. Um, total orders made by the tribunal were more than uh, double a settlement offer for 10 weeks pay at the club worth 4,200 euro so <laughs> they, they got more than what they were asking for um, more than twice um so mr soden who represented himself at a hearing in march apparently he's not only a good bartender but a pretty good argument uh argumenter or argumentarian or uh, <laughs> uh, arguer um i'm not sure anyway um, he had worked at the club since 2008, doing variable hours as a casual bartender of between 20 and 50 hours a week. Having repeatedly inquired about a return to work in 2021, Mr. Soden said that he discovered that students had been taken on to do his work. So instead of one person, they actually hired two. Um, he received no severance, which is actually, an, uh, I won't talk about that uh, there's another knock on one about severance not being paid by a business owner. I'm sure the two are at the same level. Um, anyway, um, he was, he was clearly in their view, medically unfit to work. And as such, no restitution for an unfair dismissal could legally be warranted. Ms. Guinness said Ms. Guinness had submitted that Mr. Soden had made no efforts at mitigation for the loss of employment, adding that her client's understanding was that the complainant was under the care of his GP since early 2022 and most likely on disability benefit. Okay. Except that he had actually asked about returning to work. As the claimant had been dismissed, there could be no valid second complaint for redundancy, counsel added. This is like a... European, I, I would have to try and translate that into something that is U.S. centric because the terminology, the actions might be the same, but the terminology is distinctly different. Um, so the general manager's evidence was that Mr. Soden had stated that he was not available for work in May of 2021 as the worker had been caring for his mother. Um, so Mr. So Soden said, 
that he had been on disability pay since June 2022 and was unavailable for work. That was under cross-examination. Um, I know this is really exciting news, but the adjudicator estimated the redundancy lump sum due to Mr. Soden would be around 8,000 euro. Um, so even if he was on disability and he told them or he was available, they never sought him out and then they terminated him. And then they hired other people that were younger in his place. Right. So <laughs> And probably part time or something so they didn't have to pay benefits. As much, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or fall into this trap of the um you know, the uh, unfair dismissals because they're part-time. They're essentially gig workers. So quite fascinating. Um, and the U.S. has similar protections, but nothing close to this length of time. I mean, this would have had to have been brought to action a whole lot sooner. Um, yeah. But it's interesting because I think it's the first article we've seen in hometown about kind of like a COVID, COVID loss of employment. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of interesting in that regard. Yeah. I don't think that it would rise to the level of discussion here in the States because, uh, you know, the whole at will nature of work, it used to be here in the States that people wouldn't just get randomly fired or quit. Um, but, you know, the last, I'd, I'd say the last 40 years or so has led towards everybody thinking that, they're cannon fodder and so is the job you know it just doesn't matter they can go and find another job or find another employee whatever it is so zero i said it today in a meeting that there's very little allegiance either to the worker or to the employer um because everybody thinks the other is either abusing or taking advantage so just odd um, kind of a bummer that we have this kind of mindset. So let's keep on going. Um, this is another article that's over at RTE. Um, it's in the Mobile channel. Um, it says 4,000 euro for little. I think it's pronounced little, right? L-I-D-L. A worker dismissed for drinking Yakult, which apparently <laughs> is like a yogurt drink. Um, oh, okay. So I'm just going to jump over to the uh, RTE site. I, the last one, I, I didn't see like who wrote it. It doesn't, I don't think it says it. Yeah. No, it doesn't look like there's a byline. Yeah. And uh, the this next one doesn't have a byline either, but let me throw it into the chat just in case anybody's in there that wants to follow that link as well. Um, so it looks like a yogurt drink or um, yeah, it's a probiotic drink. Um. So the Irish arm of German discount retailer Little had been has been ordered to pay 4,000 euro compensation for the unfair dismissal of a gory store worker for consuming a Yakult drink without paying for it. The reason why I actually chose, just like that other one, there's something unique about this, right? So the, the other one, it was unique because it was it's the first that we've heard of of a COVID-based termination when really it seems like it was either miscommunication or just lack of communication or the employer wanted to exploit the fact that they were unavailable. This one is they 
they hit this person with a baseball bat instead of a scalpel trying to, you know, get rid of an ant on their arm. What ended up happening with this was there was some packaging that was damaged and the policy really is to throw it out because it was damaged. And so instead of throwing it out, they gave it to the employees and this particular person drank one of them, one of them, and was fired for it. For something that they were discarding. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, they didn't pay for it. So it was treated as theft, I guess. Um, so at the Workplace Relations Commission, adjudicator Paul McKeon ordered Little Ireland to pay Sean O'Reilly 4,000 euro for his unfair dismissal after finding that no reasonable employer would have dismissed Mr. O'Reilly in such circumstances. Um, in his findings, Mr. McKeon stated that on close review of the nature of the misconduct, the low monetary value of the goods consumed in Mr. O'Reilly's um, early admission of guilt, it is clear that a lesser sanction would have been served as an adequate deterrent for the purpose of preventing this type of misconduct from reoccurring in the future. Um, they found during the uh, hearing that there was evidence credible that he acted without malice and that there was no ill intention and little benefit for his part of consuming the Yakult um, product on in 2020. Great marketing so, for Yakult. <laughs> yeah, really. Hey, we settle your stomach and then get it really upset because you're fired. Um, so uh, let's see here. Mr. McKeon stated that the final written warning on Mr. O'Reilly would have served the uh, purpose of preventing his action from occurring in the future. But it says here in evidence on behalf of little store manager, uh, Darius Kaziskis, Kaczynskis, sorry, Kaczynskis stated that after coming across a half empty bottle of Yakult drink placed on the loading pallet, he approached Mr. O'Reilly who confirmed that he had not purchased the Yakult drink. Um, Mr. Kaczynskis, uh, gave further evidence that the reason given by Mr. O'Reilly for consuming the product in question and distributing a number of them to other staff members was because they were due to be written off and put in the write-off area. Mr. Kaczynskis added uh, at the hearing that Mr. O'Reilly did not write off the items in question and instead he took one for himself and also distributed others to the staff members. So he should have just written them off and it should have just been written off. Right. If that was the rationale given to this other party, why not go and write it off? <laughs> not sit there and set somebody on fire for it, you know? Um, and I mean, it seems like such a severe reaction to it. Yeah. And it seems so easily correctable. Sure. When I was a lot younger, we used to do this with magazines. We used to, it's called stripping. We used to just take the cover off of a magazine and set it in what is a, it's kind of like a write down. These didn't get distributed or sold. So you strip the covers off and well, where I work doesn't exist anymore, but, and I was yet very young. Um, but I thought it was really interesting that this is basically this write down and, and instead of just documenting it, putting it on the books as being written down. They fired a human being 
what happened to the others though that were distributed this good? I guess he's the instigator, so he's the ringleader. I think that's why yeah. they went after. Oh, him. it's a conspiracy to defraud Little of three bottles of a a drink that was going to be thrown out. See, it says the occult drinks had become damaged on a pallet. And he said the following day he realized the damaged occult drinks were still on his pallet and he had forgotten to discard them and a number of the staff uh, on the date of the incident were feeling ill. He made a decision to distribute some of the remaining occult drinks to other staff members and consumed on himself. So he was trying to be nice. These were going to get thrown out and he got fired for it. Can you imagine a little bottle of a drink is designed to boost morale, even though everybody knows it's a day old thing about to get thrown out? (laughs) Well, that was what was weird to me because I was thinking, oh, no, it's been sitting out. Maybe it needs refrigeration Uh, or whatever. I'm sure they're (laughs) shelf stable. Yeah, they're probably shelf stable. I'd have to look um, to see. The morale must have been pretty low if that was a morale boost. So dystopian, you know. <laughs> and then if if that's legitimate, like if that was the intention behind it, that's just just awful in terms of the reaction. <laughs> like it's already awful, but that's even worse. <laughs> it, it seems like a couple zeros should be added to that amount. <laughs> just it's just a shit move. <laughs> God, to fire we want to fire an employee for being nice to our other employees, yeah. right? I they mean, were that's fired. really the incident took place in 2020 and it just got resolved three years later. Again, how dystopian is this? It just seems like the system is broken, regardless, either in the US or in the UK, you know, anywhere. It just, for this to exist, it just it's so broken, anyway. Okay. And meanwhile, though, like you go and, well, they don't do it anymore, I don't think, but dot coms, you, you go and work for a dot com. You don't pay for food. You don't pay for drinks. You get massages. There's a gym there. There's a swimming pool there. And you can go and get your clothes customized, all kinds of bonuses because you're busting your hump. And they want you to stay on site and all the time hours. Yeah. yeah, and these people are busting their hump and get fired for a dollar ninety nine product that they did one time. It's so broken. Okay, let's keep on hustling through the news. The next article is over in the Smack Talk channel. Mac users hit by atomic stealer malware vicious uh, via malicious um, Google search ads. So this is a new one. Um, this year, we've seen a powerful new malware launch uh, called Atomic macOS Stealer, or AMOS, um, that specifically targets Apple users. Now in the latest development, AMOS has been found in malicious ads for Google searches, and here's how to avoid it. So we're, I'm going to link you to um, the article. You can go through uh, Omtown over to this article, because we have the little snippet, and then we talk about this kind of stuff. But... You know, what's really interesting about Mac and iOS and, and um, the, the whole ecosystem is it's largely been immune to mass hacks. Um, and in all honesty, there's there are people that are working really hard to try and get into the Mac OS and, and do a, a, a mass compromise. But for many people it isn't a target rich environment so it's not big enough to try and expose themselves to 
what amounts to a federal crime in the U.S., you launch a breach like this and you end up in jail. Um, so it had better be like hitting it out of the park and, and either you're really good and you don't get caught or you're from another country and they can't reach you. Um, but either way, it needs to be a big target. Um, otherwise you act as a bug hunter and you try and find an exploit and then you disclose it. Not this, this is trying to compromise computers so that they can get access to them. Uh, Michael Potuk is the author of this article over at nine to five Mac.com. And, uh, Let's see here. It says Malwarebytes notes that the majority of these recent malicious campaigns have targeted Windows, but the new Atomic Stealer stands out as being a target both Windows and Mac. We're more interested in the Mac aspect of it uh, because there's all there's a lot of Windows stuff all the time, uh, but not so much Mac. It says that it can steal the iCloud chain uh, keychain, passwords, credit card information, files, crypto wallets, and more. There is some information in here about that. Um, what's interesting about that though, is if it can through your browser, which taps into your iCloud keychain, it can grab your passwords. That means that it grabs the websites and the passwords for everything. If you use iCloud keychain and if it can grab iCloud keychain, it can grab full unfettered access to your iCloud account. So it can, so I assume that's about everything. Well, you can clone somebody's computer if they back up to the cloud. So, cause all of the information is stored in the iCloud keychain, and then you can use your, your Apple account password and, and credentials really to grab the last backup that you did, um, and restore from that cloud backup. So this is kind of the worst possible. So that could be like photos and banking information and oh, all kinds of information. Yeah. Yeah. If I were to be able to get your iCloud keychain, I own everything about you and I can do it quietly. I could do it surreptitiously because you'd never know that I'm utilizing your stuff unless you have two-factor authentication where it notifies you that someone is trying to log in and even then if the second factor is the very device that you're logging in from then it will pop up a message saying hey you're you're trying to log into a device do you authorize it you can just say yes from that same device and unless i'm holding it and looking at it i may never see it Wow. Um, yeah, it's this is really bad. So it says good news uh, is the specific attack is very preventable. Don't download software from untrusted known known sources. No shit news at 9:52. Be wary if an app asks you to bypass macOS gatekeeper protections. Duh. Uh, and if you do want to download an app outside uh, Apple's Mac App Store, check with the website. Um, or when the website was created, but that's a little bit high friction. Um, so good luck anybody actually doing that. So um, I tell everybody install Malwarebytes. Um, it's essentially free, <laughs> um, but 
it can save your butt. I think that you should also install on Windows Glasswire um, and on Mac Little Snitch. Um, you really should have something on the edge of your network that does intrusion detection, intrusion prevention. Um, there are various hardware devices, or you can set up um, another device. There's plenty of other devices, smaller, cheaper computers that can act as a firewall um, uh, and a hardware firewall, not, not something on your host, but on the edge of your network. Um, you need something that watches internally and externally to prevent shenanigans from going on. Uh, but really, you need Malwarebytes is awesome. So, okay. Well, anyway, now you know that's our PSA for today. Did you have any questions or did you want to say anything that you observed? No? No, I don't have anything else. Yeah. the Your cascade of characters shifting is not seen by anybody so you have to tell me <laughs> so you mean know. like this yeah like this <laughs> uh. two hundred and forty nine episodes this year alone and I'm still talking with the sentient AI that keeps an eye on me that you can't just uh you can't just do that. <laughs> you have to say what you're doing <laughs> until I get I'm going to get your visualizer to actually represent you um as the AI instead of just the cascading. Maybe that's what I can do. <laughs> I can get your cascade to be shown there. Hmm. Uh. All right. So if you've ever seen the Matrix, that's basically what my sentient AI looks like. Um, I can see, like in the Matrix, you know, I can see the red dress, the woman in the red dress. Everybody else would only see the cascading characters. That's kind of how it works. Sort of. I, I'm going to have to work on that. I'm going to have to get that done. <laughs> Something that represents you in a different way. Okay, so. Um, Amazon has ended its periodicals program and independent publishers are panicking. This is over in hometown daily. Um, I have warned people again and again and again, that if you put all of your eggs in one basket at any time, you can lose that basket and your eggs will go crashing down. Um, and if you're an independent publisher and you're using nothing but Amazon, just like services, right, watch out that were once free by Google no longer are free. You're paying for it. And the rates are going up by the way. Um, and so you're going to have to find some other way of delivering your independent periodical because it's no longer available on Amazon. So it says, uh, they like the author here says they like short stories. They read them. They write them. They grew up subscribing to and reading the magazine of fantasy and science fiction analog and a bunch of others. Some genre, some not. As uh, the author got older, they began to understand the financial tightrope that many of the independent periodicals walk, a tightrope funded by contributions, subscriptions, the occasional ad, and perhaps a second mortgage. By the way, the Glass Cannon is leaving Patreon, which started their ability to 
become strong enough to leave Patreon. Yeah, that's weird. Um, and because Why? because Patreon basically couldn't match the requirements of such a complex um, uh, platform, I guess, as the glass cannon. So, and the reason why I bring that up in this is their funding really started with Patreon, right? But they no longer had the ability to grow or to customize their solution within that environment so they left right this is these people who use this for their independent periodical they either don't have another solution or they didn't have the ability to customize and grow to uh, you know outgrow amazon and become directly independent um, or provide a solution. There may be something out there that they can do, and maybe it can be Patreon where they can distribute from. Um, but it is an RSS feed within Patreon that people can subscribe to. So I, I don't know that there has to be something that these people can do. The thing about it is Amazon just turned it off, right? Or will turn it off. So it says, since Kindle periodicals was dropped, many pubs are scrambling to find a way to stay alive. Barbara Krasnoff over at The Verge put the article together. Um, they say um, they also understand that any resources that makes it a bit easier for these pubs to find and, and keep readers, like the ability to gather subscribers through Amazon's Kindle periodicals program, can make all the difference in keeping the books and their walk on that tightrope balanced until their resource goes away. And that's exactly what just happened. So the discovery, the, the discoverability is really the biggest issue here. So it says no more subscriptions outside of Kindle Unlimited. Last March, Amazon stated that it was dropping all of its print and Kindle magazine and newspaper subscriptions, a new policy that went into effect on September 4th this year. Since that announcement, independent publishers have been scrambling to figure out a way to make up for their loss in income that would ensue when many of their subscribers would suddenly disappear. Subscribers who, according to Neil Clark of Clark's World magazine, could not be contacted directly and redirected to other subscription methods because none of us knew who the subscribers were. Oh, wow. See, I didn't even think of that piece. I was just thinking that they couldn't get new people or they would lose existing, but yep, they can't even follow up with them and say, hey, join us over here, assuming that even over here exists. Yeah. And, and, and the, the big problem is that the friction level is they may know about Clark's World magazine, right? But now it's unavailable they would have to go over to wherever clark's world is they they knew what the let's say they had an idea of what that magazine was but they forgot the name and now it's gone so if they do a search it could be the wrong site that they go to or who knows somebody does something nefarious like again back to the glass cannon thing um i found somebody that had cloned the well not cloned it they were using the name um for their own purposes knowing that the glass cannon was growing um and i just happened to call them out um and tell the glass cannon about it 
Um, somebody else could be doing something nefarious, you know, fantasy magazine. They started up a website, fantasy magazine, and they get all of the goodwill that came from the periodical. They cheat the system because they got to the website first. So the result, a recent editorial in the August issue of fantasy magazine reads, it is with real sadness that we have to announce that October, 2023 will be our last issue. People will want to know why, of course, and the answer is the expected one. Unfortunately, fantasy never reached a point of paying for itself, and with the Kindle periodicals mess, it's just not sustainable. If only they could have the ability to keep in touch with the customers that they garnered through this interface, um, there might be a They're market They're still going to lose some, but it'd be better than having yeah. none of it. Yeah. I wonder if there is a way to spin up a solution with relative ease. I mean, I've set up a lot of sites and it's a piece of cake to set them up. Um, there has to be some solution. The only problem is, you know, somebody would, this is a, like a pretty big project. You'd have to go and find all of the people that lost all of these customers set up all of the resources and facilitate their transition into a new site. I don't know. Confidence is broken. They would have a hard time trusting some startup environment. Um, so it's, this is pretty sad. Um, some will regain their footing. A proportion, including Clark's role, have been invited to become part of Amazon Kindle's unlimited program where they pay a monthly fee for access to books and select magazine subscriptions. Although some of the com uh, comments that they've heard from the magazine editors, even those who have become part of Kindle Unlimited will not be seeing the same income as they did uh, with straight subscriptions. But that's part and parcel to, you know, a profit-seeking endeavor. They want a piece of the action. It seems like everything is going up and in cost and where it doesn't go up in cost somebody else is saying chop all of you know trim the fat and if this wasn't directly making profit for the bottom line then amazon got rid of it so kindle unlimited is going to be you have to be asked into it well right i mean that'll be a great solution for some people but yeah the gatekeeping begins um so I don't know. I think maybe there is um, a podcast network um, where it's owned and, and run by the various components of the network, right? There's no senior leader. Well, there's senior leadership in the sense that these people have been chosen to be the overarching leadership within the organization, but it's community owned, not even community owned the people who make the podcasts work together to you know drive business to the organization maybe that's what is needed for this you know somebody to take that step um obviously it would have to be compatible administratively and the cost would have to align and everybody should be on board i know somebody that has one of these this is the kids Kindle. Anyway. Yes, I'm also looking at the book titles. 
Wings of Fire. <laughs> Wings of There's fire. some Dr. Seuss. I can't see what the other Green one Green Eggs and Ham. Yeah. I don't know what that one is. Wonder? Oh, yeah. That's a real well-known one. Oh, really? Kids book? Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's keep on it going. It was on some bestseller list. Um, um, the next article is over in Hometown Daily. And it is, uh, I didn't want to pay rent anymore, so I bought a $9,000 ambulance and converted it into a mobile home that they use to travel the world. Throw that into um, chat. And it says here, Caden Smith, 23, wanted to live close to nature but couldn't afford to, uh, to rent in Colorado or Arizona to escape high rate uh, rents. They moved into an ambulance that they bought off of Facebook Marketplace for $9,000, then spent $8,000 converting that ambulance into a mobile home and vlogs, video logs, um, about traveling in it. Um, I won't belabor this, but I just wanted to admit that this is not the first time that this idea has formed because I wanted to buy an ambulance and convert it into <laughs> a mobile home slash tech shop mobile um, tech support. Um, Alcina Lloyd is the author of this over at businessinsider.com. Uh, the reason why I liked the idea of it is that it has the ability to manage itself pretty well in all levels of uh, weather. Um, it has a, a huge uh, low center of gravity. <laughs> it's very heavy. Um, they usually have built in chains, these little gadgets that sit right on the inside of the uh, wheelbase that activate and spin. And the chains hit the real chains. They hit the wheel and slide underneath as you're driving. Um, and so it acts as like chains that are wrapped around. So you can go through ice and snow and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. Um, I don't know if this model actually has it, but most of them do. Uh, but Caden Smith, 23, didn't want to or couldn't afford rent and decided to make a mobile home. So after graduating high school in December 2017, they enrolled in Brigham Young University and moved it uh, to its campus in Idaho. And during their time at BYU, they lived in a dorm with nine roommates and was paying around $450 each month in rent. Oof. So they ended up just buying the stuff and then going on a road trip. And um, yeah, wow. Longboarding and rollerblading, I think, behind that ambulance at least they'd i'm have kind an of surprised the article showed that yeah it's fine um so before and after renovation um it shows that it was more gutted than anything usually when you buy these things they're not um, as gutted maybe they had already started doing some work um, that looks like maybe um they had already started doing work um I can't close the window. That sucks. Um, anyway, so off they go, driving around, doing whatever they wanted to do. I'll let you guys go over and uh, check out the, the article itself, but it doesn't take that much. A little bit of ingenuity and some cash, and you can make a, a camper, and you can go traveling around in it. Um, it's not going to be very gas-conscious, <laughs> 
Um, it's going to be pretty expensive on the gas, but it says uh, that they began documenting the ambulance and their travels on Instagram and TikTok. It was first just for fun and started off almost like a joke. However, that changed when they made their first 62 cents on the platform. They weren't on social media previously, so they never believed that it was possible to make money from vlogging or vlogging, um, video logging as it is. Uh, when they made the first few cents, it just broke the barrier in their mind and decided to start taking it more seriously. They don't like to share exactly how much they've made in social media, but earning above the median salary for the typical American, which is around $70,000. Not bad. Not if you like it. Yeah, that's pretty good. Not and cheap uh, living costs, relatively. Yep. A lot of people go to college and acquire about $60,000 in student loan debt by the time they're 21. They might have a degree, but they're financially constrained and stuck in their career. Uh, I argue against that line of thought uh, because $60,000 in debt, if they have a bachelor's degree and it's applicable uh, skill set and they have social skills and... <laughs> Um, I don't know, a, a little bit of fortitude, they can pay off their student loan debt if they didn't, if they, uh, they need to be a little bit more conscious of their other burdens. But uh, uh, I, I know people that <laughs> out of law school, they've, they paid off their entire law school debt from one contract, one gig. Now, it's an anomaly, and I don't think that anybody shouldn't hero worship that particular kind of a statement, but the earning potential of somebody that has a degree well outstrips the earning potential of not having a, a degree, even if you are bound by $60,000 in debt. Um, right, best would be to get a degree and have something like this going yeah. Uh, then you have the degree to fall back on. Yep. Um, and nowadays you could probably travel around in that van and get your degree. <laughs> it really depends on, on, uh, the timing, um, and where you think the, the, the gravitas of your degree is going to come from either your hard work or the fact that you went to Brigham Young, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, they may require you to be in a, on campus and in a dorm and all of that kind of stuff. It's kind of old school nowadays, but hey, whatever. Anyway, um, there's a much more over at this article, but if you are, uh, if you have some charisma and you're passionate about what you're doing, doing something like this can earn you a great following and, and have long-term financial benefit um and do it when you're younger because when you're older you've got a lot more responsibility a lot more downward pressure you can't just grab a an ambulance modify it and start tooling around the countryside well i mean you can but you'll be your family off. might wonder where you went <laughs> i'm going for smokes and a jug of milk i'll be back I better keep moving. Better get in my ambulance. Next article's over in Constructagon. Um, 3D printed hard on a chip to be sent to space as part of Belgian astrocardio 
sorry, Astrocardia project. Nominate now for the 3D Printing Industry Awards. That's over here on this uh, site, the 3dprintingindustry.com website. They want you to nominate some 3D printing sites for their awards project. Maybe this article. Um, five Belgian companies and research centers are collaborating as part of Astrocardia project to 3D print an artificial heart and circulatory system which will be sent to space. The heart on a chip is being developed by Space Application Services, SCKCEN. Is this really... Did somebody just take the alphabet and sprinkle it onto a sentence? <laughs> it looks like it. <laughs> S-C-K-C-E-N is one, uh, I don't know, agency. Then there's another one called QBD Group. Then BioINX. And then Antleron. What the heck am I reading? Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> That's how you read it too, right? I'm, I'm not. My eyes. That's how I, I don't read even it. Knew, are my glasses broken? No, okay. there are a lot of letters. Okay, <laughs> it's like acronym bingo, and we send uh, and will be sent to International Space Station. So, um, according to the Astrocardia researchers, it's practically impossible to conduct in-depth examinations on a living uh, human heart. Therefore, the team will 3D bioprint a miniaturized human heart and artificial circulatory system to enable more in-depth research into the heart's aging process. By sending the 3D printed heart to orbit, it's hoped that scientists will be able to better understand or study the process, given that the organ ages 20 times faster in space than on Earth. What? I did not know that, but that sounds like a great way to experiment with it because you could accelerate the experiment time. Our heart changes as we age. It's slowly getting bigger and stiffer. The arteries calcify and the pumping power deteriorates. Oh, God. Explained Space Application Services researcher Hilda Stenuit. In space, factors such as stress, microgravity, and radiation cause those aging processes to occur 20 times faster. So in space, we are speeding up time, and that gives us the unique opportunity to obtain research results that we simply cannot obtain here on Earth. The platform will be developed, will develop, sorry. The platform we will develop will allow research into the mechanisms that drive cardiac aging. Kind of like trying to say that sentence. <laughs> I think there's been some cardiac aging here. So that's pretty neat. Apparently they have a thing called the Astrocardia 3D Bioprinter. That's wild. Yeah, we've, I mean, doesn't that sound like cyberpunk or something? Yeah, they say the miniature heart, which is barely a chia seed size, faithfully mimics its human counterpart. Now... I've seen, and I know that the sentient AI has seen a chia seed. That's pretty damn small. <laughs> well, that's a heart muscle cell, right? No, they say the miniature heart. Are they just talking about a single cell? I think so, because they were talking about cells elsewhere. 
says heart muscle cells are 3D printed onto a chip, but maybe more than one. Well, yeah. It says yeah. the miniature heart, which is barely a chia seed's size, faithfully mimics its human counterpart. Huh. Wonder why they made it at that scale. It doesn't make it easy to, you know, navigate. To no, if you're experimenting with something, you want it larger so it's easier for observation, I would think. Uh, okay, well, hey. We'll have to keep an eye on this really close eye. Right, with our really strong microscopes. <laughs> we'll come back and check this out as more information comes. This is pretty neat, though. Let's keep going. Final article. This section is titled Balls. Tennis ball wasteland game grapples with a fuzzy yellow recycling problem. What was I going to refer? Hold on. Uh, I have a reference note here that I was, I threw this at uh, the AI and it was vetoed. Here was the title that I wanted to call this section. <clears throat> My fuzzy balls can't be recycled. That, that actually was not vetoed. You misread my response, but. Oh, really? Oh, I did. Yeah, I just had to look at it again. Oh, well, I guess I should have kept that as the title, but that's okay. Everybody <laughs> in chat got a, a little they got a brush with the title that i think is superior but okay let's go and check this out it's over at the apnews.com website um, james martinez is the author the picture that you're seeing by the way folks is a giant uh, if you're listening to this via the podcast and if you're not then go and download the podcast please leave a review oh man Never thought that I'd have to like really aggressively ask, but I really want people to download the podcast, come over and hang out and chat with us about all of this news. I think it's fun. Um, anyway, so it's a box of used tennis balls that rest in a shipping box. At the U.S. Open Tennis Champions uh, Championships. They go through 100,000 tennis balls during the competition. And they can't be recycled. What? Yeah. Can yeah. they be donated to animal shelters or something for use? Uh, but then eventually it ends up in a landfill. It takes 400 years to decompose. Oh, wow. So um, this alone is now in the grand scheme of things, people are going to say, well, you know, it's just tennis. It's just this is one organization consuming a hundred thousand balls over the course of a tournament. And I would have guessed like a hundred. I mean, I had no idea it would have been at the scale. There's 330 million of them made worldwide each year. 330 million of these. So what they need to come up with is something I know recycling ultimately, but they need a strong reuse case like they need to be put in the nuclear silos or something <laughs> uh you know the thing we were talking about with the wastewater yeah. or or whatever it is but just something or they need to be made into pavement or something see but they 
just like microplastics, they're, de they're going to decompose into the little bits that end up inside humans. And it takes 400 years to decompose and whatever toxic, whatever is going to come off of them. But here's what really flipped my bit when I was reading this article, because I had to read it because I was like, what the hell are they talking about? And I had keyed in on the fact that they don't, they're not recyclable. Uh, and I want, I want Nicholas J. Themelis, the director of Columbia university's earth engineering center, um, to retract this goofy statement. Yes. I'm talking directly to you, Nicholas J. Themelis. Okay. So they make this statement, but it's the second one that I would, really want to it's like the slap the bad bat out of somebody's mouth kind of statement tennis balls like a lot of objects are made to be indestructible which means they're very resistant to mechanical processing no if they're indestructible they're indestructible let's just leave that one alone and move on to the next statement that he makes or they make but do you take a useful object that lasts forever and say people shouldn't use it because it lasts forever that's nonsense and if that's harmful to the environment, yes. If it's harmful to the environment, yes. But if it is a useful object that lasts forever, but the usefulness of it is its forever period, it is always used, then fine. It's in place. It's always doing what it's supposed to be doing. But we're talking about tennis balls you twit and discarding them frequently <laughs> apparently going through a hundred thousand of them taking 400 years to decompose 330 million of them a year the usefulness of a tennis ball and the entire domain of tennis is not something that should be looked at as being here we go a useful object that lasts forever it's not useful it's entertainment it's exercise that can be cloned with some other activity that doesn't involve something that is indestructible and takes 400 years to decompose i mean it this is such a goofy statement find some other solution well that's what the article is actually talking about Difficult to recycle materials. They're trying to find a way to replace the tennis balls material. They can't recycle it because the little fuzzies are actually embedded in the material. And so at what point is it no longer recyclable? Apparently during its entire process, it's no longer recyclable. Among them uh, are efforts by nonprofits and others to go beyond using old balls for dog toys and the bottoms of chairs, as is what you said. Uh, that includes collecting balls in bulk and grinding them down into material to make them into products, um, including the footing for horse arenas and uh, perfect symmetry tennis courts. But again, these are indestructible. They take 400 years to recycle. Is, is it really worth 400 years of perpetual indestructibility because you're making 330 million of them every year find some other way to make tennis balls and while you're doing that 
stop. Stop making tennis balls. Stop creating 330 million little spheres of indestructibility that take 400 years to decompose. <laughs> it's, it's really weird that they will sit there and say that marketing and arguably a subset of um, the, the broad spectrum of sports is going to say, okay, we can keep on contaminating the world with these little spheres because I like playing tennis. It's pretty fascinating, pretty fascinating, but we do the same thing with cigarettes, you know, Hey, I like smoking. Yeah. I know that I'm poisoning the people around me and myself. Screw you. I like smoking. Um, it, it's all, I don't know, very narrow minded. Um, is there a way to design a fully recyclable, recyclable ball? What are the capabilities of balls on different levels of play? Can the ITF using its rulemaking muscle keep balls in play longer and competitions, which would result in fewer balls used Do grand grand slam uh, events have to stick with replacing balls after the first seven games and every nine games thereafter. Could that be extended to 11 or 13? This is all mitigation. Um, but what they need to do is find a more biocompatible spherical object that they can walk whack around with stretched nets <laughs> flubber yes flubber <laughs> so the whole are the article talks about this in great depth so if you're interested in this follow this link let me throw it into the chat i can't go too in-depth in this because it is quite a long article um, in regards to, to this, but there's an, there's a, uh, um, an agency in Vermont called Recycle Balls, which says on its, it's on pace to collect 3 million tennis balls this year. 3 million, that's 1%, less than 1% because there's 330 million tennis balls produced each year. So less than 1% are being acquired from across the U.S. and Canada. They distribute collection boxes to hundreds of tennis clubs, city parks, colleges, and tournaments where the balls can be shipped to postpaid. So it's costing them money to uh, organize all of this. And then it's going to be used in a variety of locations, dog toys, bottoms of chairs. They said it earlier in the article. They're just reiterating it here. Um, still others are being sent to highly specialized patent pending machine that pulls the felt off the rubber and grinds the rubber into different size granules, except that there's no way that it can get all of the, the felt off. So it'll be partially embedded. Some of it'll be in the felt. Some of it'll be, the felt will be in the plastic, uh, in the rubber. Um, and it'll be made into something else, including apparently tennis courts themselves. So, well, I mean, I think that's good, but they probably have more tennis balls than needs for tennis courts. But I still <laughs> think these great. efforts are good. I hate tennis balls. That's why I play tennis, so that I can beat them. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it, this is just 
it's one of those things that when you find out about it, it can cause you to become a little bit enraged um, because you see that there is something that could be stopped wholesale if not for the fact that people like gladiators, you know, people really, wow, I really hate people uh, fighting, but man, gladiatorial combat is a lot of fun to watch. So fight on, um, you know, wow, it's ruining the world, but I really like watching tennis. So <laughs> anyway, just another thing to think about folks. One Look how much things. we've learned tonight in this episode. Yeah. That's what it's all about. So I drag everybody that we just uh, toured through hometown back to Main Street and the welcome sign. We'll mash that welcome sign and hopefully there isn't anything really questionable. Every once in a while I find something that's really questionable and I have to go on a, I go deleting things. Um, but there's a, a lot of stuff that's going on about uh, trials and oh, apparently a powerful magnitude 6.2 earthquake off uh, northern Chile. Apparently just now, last 27, 24 hours at least. Um, what else? Uh oh, Bruce Springsteen is sick. Yeah, I don't know. Tencent releases AI models for businesses as competition in China heats up. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> releases AI model for businesses. Oh boy. Tencent is very hooked up into entertainment and a lot of other things. Um, so we'll right. see. did you see this about the great wall? No. Where is it? I saw that wall uh, yesterday oh. outside of hometown. Yeah. Uh, wall what wall Two detained after leveling part of China's Great Wall I think they bulldozed through it <laughs> so the AI <laughs> I was watching the AI's feed and I got probably the <laughs> biggest what the hell <laughs> kind of response <laughs> Yeah, that's that's not good for them um, or the wall. I mean, but for crying out loud, what? <laughs> that's pretty dense. I, I haven't read anything about it, so I don't really know. Yeah, what the context the is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Context matters. Um, Let's see. Anything else? I don't know. We'll just go back. You uh, I will will be here tomorrow, 9 p.m. U.S. electric car maker Lucid is exploring China entry. Confirms mass market models ahead. Lucid is a like a luxury car, electric car manufacturer. I no, I think we've talked about it in hometown. Like a $75,000 entry level car. <laughs> anyway, that's it, folks. Let me uh, do this. I am Marwat. That is O. Every once in a while I do that. I start my exit halfway down the page. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. Up there is the AI that's going to say bye. And then we're going to go and we'll see you tomorrow. Go ahead. Go. Go. <laughs> Good night, hometown citizens. We'll see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern.
Yeah, the AI is gonna... If I keep stomping on the AI's lines, they're gonna come and smack the bad bat out of my mouth. See you tomorrow, folks. You, you can't do the equivalent of waving. I, no, you, it, that's not how it works. Bye, everybody. Mm -hmm.